Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation. Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm your host, Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners, contract experts, policymakers, and stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me today is my colleague here at DAU. She's a returning guest. Her name is Hallie Tremaine Balkin. She is the Learning Director for Other Transaction Authority. Hallie, welcome to All Things Small Business. Thanks, Anthony. It's great to join again. Yeah, welcome back, I should say. Now, you've got a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, the last time you were with us, of course, we discussed Other Transaction Authority. So folks who heard that episode were able to get pretty good grounding in in what it's all about, what the features and benefits of that pathway are. A lot of things are developing, though. You've got an exciting event coming up, which is really the was the prompt to bring you on today. You've got webinars and other activities. This thing is really growing, it seems. Hallie, though, take us back, if you would just in a kind of an encapsulated way, give us that sort of definition again of what Uh, We hear them as OTs or OTAs, other transaction authorities, what those are. Yes, happy to. So other transaction authority or OTA is the statutory authority Congress has given us to do business differently. It helps us incorporate business practices that we typically don't have in a general government contract construct. And it is different because it helps us leverage and broaden the industrial base And it helps us attract companies and vendors and small businesses who otherwise don't really want to work with us for a multitude of reasons. They might be intimidated by our very bureaucratic, very strict rulemaking and rule following process, the FAR, the DFARS, the applicable agency supplements, or they might not have the resources to comply with the way we do business. Developing a proposal and submitting a proposal in response to a government solicitation can be expensive. It can be confusing. It can be very ambiguous at times. So other transaction authority helps us really look at the problem in a different manner. And none of those uh, very bureaucratic, very complex rules like the FAR and the DFARS, none of those apply to OTs. So it can help us leverage who actually wants to work with us And as a result, we can actually get the product or the technology in the warfighter faster. Yeah, so it's really taking a a different perspective on what might just feel like red tape and uh, things that help them qualify that are just uh, barriers to them. Is that another way of saying it? Yes, absolutely, Anthony. I mean, if we think about a piece of technology or a version of technology that we need, and we need to get in the hands of our folks on the front line, Sometimes it can take 18 to 24 months to get that contract awarded. And by the time that award is actually complete, that technology is very often obsolete because 18 months, two years, I mean, that 
really has a huge impact on technology and the pace of technology and the development. So allowing us to kind of utilize this different tool and to get that technology in the hands at a much faster pace with much less red tape and much less bureaucracy, while also opening up the aperture of who actually can and and will work with us, really make sure that we get the best of the best of what we need in a much more expeditious and timely manner. And I've heard it said that it allows us to absorb that technology that you're describing and and do it now, not get uh, the year before last technologies, but this year. And again, attract the kind of entities that are expert in that and, and can bring it into the Department of Defense. Now, the first OTA Today, I think that's the title, OTA Today webinar that you've got going is January 5th at noon. I want to invite everyone who's listening to to be there or be nowhere. <laughs> but Hallie, what's it all about? What is OTA today? Yes. So this is a webinar that a dear friend of mine, Michelle Courier, um, helped in, uh, help with the inception of the series. And it's been incredibly successful. We've done about one webinar every single month for the last year. And we're going into 2022 with a bang. We're excited to bring in more complex thought processing. We're inviting more subject matter experts from across the defense acquisition workforce. We're looking at industry, academia. We're really broadening and strengthening the education assets that we're we're making available for the folks who really need it. So our very first 2022 webinar is going to be on administration of OTs. So we hear a lot from folks in the field that the prototyping and the original initial contracts are going very well, but then we make the contract and that's when problems start to arise. Hallie, what kind of problems are you talking about? Give us sort of a scenario that this type of webinar would help folks overcome. Absolutely. So oftentimes the structure has cost components to it. So it's, it's, of course, easiest and cleanest to have fixed price line items, if you will. So if a vendor gives us X technology, this is the price. And then when they deliver it, we pay that set price. However, if there's cost type associations with the the delivery of that, it gets a little dicier because we don't have cost accounting principles like we do in the FAR that apply to OTs. So what are the auditing rules? What can we do? What's fair? What does the vendor who may not even be registered in SAM.gov or have an approved cost accounting system because they don't have to, how do they comply? How do DCAA, DCMA do their due diligence with the procedures and protocol that they're given in such an unusual contract like an OT? Those are one of the the biggest challenges we're seeing. Um, We're also seeing what happens with disputes. What if there is ambiguity in the delivery terms? What are the rules? Because it's less defined than what would we we would see in a traditional FAR-based procurement construct, these types of issues are coming up because there's not a lot of guidance out there. There's not a lot of decisions or case law or policy because it is one of the areas that is developing as we're going through it. Yeah, you know, there's two sides to every coin, you might say. You know, th- these are more flexible. Uh, everything hasn't been rigorously defined. And the advantage of that is to allow you to move quickly, as we've described. But, you know, the flip side of the coin is the, the, the those are the trade-offs that you're describing. So it sounds like a very practical webinar. I think that's going to be very helpful. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be great. We have some fantastic folks participating as our expert panelists from DCMA and DCAA. So we'll have the folks who know what's going on and have the answers that we really need. Another challenge we're seeing are folks moving fast because they want to get technology or a widget in the hand of the warfighters quickly is that we're not necessarily thinking ahead. We're not planning for instance, intellectual property, IP rights in the sufficient way that we should be. And so by the time we get to contract award, we might not have the rights that are sufficient to move into production. And sometimes we price ourselves out of being able to even afford the production contract. So for the prototype purposes, we're giving an, um, a widget or a piece of technology that we have something that sort of acts and feels like government purpose rights those don't automatically go into the production contract because that direct follow-on production contract is a separate contract vehicle. So we're seeing sometimes the vendor tell us and and price those types of similar rights in a production construct uh, in a much higher manner. So we're, we're seeing that become one of the problems and challenges to administration of OTs as well. So is that like a licensing challenge? They've developed intellectual property now to go forward with it. There is a price to using it? Absolutely. Licensing, data rights, considerations, all of that kind of post-award, who owns it and who gets to use it in that manner is becoming one of those trickier scenarios. Yes, I can imagine. Now, just shifting gears, I want to give you a chance to address the naysayers out there. There are some folks who might think this is a just another trend in you know a, a world where there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happen. Are we seeing OTA as just another trend? Is it going away anytime soon? What, what does it look like? What does the future look like? Uh, the exact opposite, actually. We're seeing folks use it more and more, and Congress is encouraging us to use OTA more and more. They're seeing the benefits of reaching these vendors who either won't play on a government procurement contract that's FAR-based, or they're not able to play. And if we're looking at the market changes from the past to the present, where the innovation in the past really was fueled by the government, the driver of technology innovation really did occur in these R&D government labs, we're just not seeing that anymore. Now we're seeing the focus and the pace of science and technology innovation and that research and development field really occur outside the government. And Congress has recognized that. They have recognized that if we are to keep up with the pace of technology and we are to keep up with our adversaries, we need to be thinking differently. So OTA is not going away anytime soon. Um, We also are often very cautious about staying within the bounds of what Congress has told us, because of course, if we break the rules or abuse the authority we're given, they could always take it away. But we're also not seeing that. We're not seeing gross abuse of this authority. And we're seeing folks in the DOD and the federal government at large really use it the way we we ought to be. That's great. And I understand it's not like a replacement to the, the FARs, DFARs. It's a tool and it's recognized as, as such. Is that a, a good way to look at it? That is, Anthony. You know, oftentimes we have folks that say, I'm, you know, they come into our office or our virtual office at this point and they they tell us, I'm so sick of the, the timeline for a FAR-based contract. I want to pivot to an OT. And the very first question is, how is what you're, what is what you're trying to accomplish different? 
And if it's nothing, if it's, oh, we're just sick of waiting, it's not even appropriate for another transaction. There has to be some sort of prototypical or research aspect that has not yet been done in order to even be eligible to use this authority. So it, this, this authority will never replace government contracts at large. It's not the answer to all. But if there is something that's new or technology that's proposed to be used in a new or different way, it could be an appropriate project for OTA and it could have some pretty fantastic benefits. So yeah, there's sort of a suitability analysis that's applied to a given situation. And if it does check the boxes, then you arrive at the conclusion that an OTA is appropriate. Yes. I mean, not to get too much into the weeds, but I can give you my 30 second kind of elevator spiel of, of when a prototype OT is appropriate. Um, back in 2018, GAO released a decision in the Oracle uh, bid protest. It's B46061 to be precise. And they stated, we're not going to give a definition of a prototype in the OTA context. But then they gave this quasi two-pronged test. They said, first off, had this prototype project been previously deployed in the DOD? And this had to do with cloud-based technology. So due to DOD's stringent security requirements, that was the first question. Uh, the answer is no. Then they moved to the second prong and they said, hey, agency, which was the army or protester, which was Oracle, could you identify any other DOD entity that had successfully implemented a similar automated auto- migration program type technology? And the answer was no. So they they sufficiently stated this was a proper prototype project. So as long as what we're looking at, the technology, the implementation of the technology, the platform the technology is on, it's, it's pretty broad. As long as that hasn't been done before, then it is a ripe prototype project. So Hallie, let's take a look at what a real life situation would look like. Once a team awards a prototype OT, what happens next? Great question, Anthony. So once a prototype OT is awarded, we have to go through the contract and actually make sure it works. So the deliverables to which the parties agree, the parties being the government and the vendor or the vendors, they have to actually deliver what was agreed upon. And if and when that happens, if and when those deliverables are met, the government agrees that it works to the specifications that were agreed, then we have the authority to move into a direct follow-on production award when that prototype is closed. So let's say that last deliverable is delivered. The widget works. It's fantastic. There is no further administration or bureaucracy required to move into a follow-on production OT. But right now, that is what we're seeing the biggest choke point in in OT context within the government. We're not seeing a ton of production OTs because there's folks that are sometimes misreading the authority. I've had some offices come to me and tell me that their office of general counsel is requiring a JNA, a justification and approval, because it's a sole source contract. And that's just not the case. A sole source contract is a FAR based construct, and it's completely different from a follow on direct production, other transaction award. So we're seeing a lot of misinterpretation of what Congress has given us. We're also seeing folks revert back to FAR-based contracts because it's simpler, it's easier. They like the DFARS protections in the the data rights realm. Uh, So we are seeing a little bit of that. And it's our mission, especially in 2022, to help educate 
the defense acquisition workforce, especially uh, folks interested in OTs, to understand what the rules really are and what requirements really must take place before moving into that production arena. Yeah, it sounds like it's there's a going gets tough moment, so to speak. And the education you're talking about should help people get over the hump, solve those problems and move on. So, Hallie, just kind of going full circle back to the event, you've got this webinar that's starting up early January, which is very exciting. We greet the new year 2022 with this. Tell us more about the webinar, what people can expect from that. I'd be happy to. So we have a team of experts from DCMA and DCAA prepared to answer the toughest questions. Uh, And these are the folks really on the ground. They're not high-level policy interpreters. They are the trench workers really grappling through these very challenging OTA administration challenges. These and are the, the people with the Excedrin headaches that uh, they've, they've taken the headaches so you don't have to, right? <laughs> they have. Uh, we, we are there um, supporting them as much as we can, but the, the goal is to work through some of these problems so everyone can benefit. Uh, DOD-wide can benefit through some of those headaches. That sounds exciting. Uh, tell us again the time and the date, and I'll put that in the show notes. We'll make sure people know about it, and, and hopefully we uh, fill a few more virtual seats. Yes, absolutely. It's January 5th at noon Eastern. The event is completely free and it's publicly available to anyone, government, industry, academia, anyone who wants to attend, but registration is required. And I'll make sure I send you that link, Anthony, if you want to keep that or put that in your uh, event notes. Um, But we're really excited. It's going to be an hour and a half. uh, 1.5 CLP are available for those who attend. And we really are going to address the tough questions of what happens after you award another transaction. So it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting. It's exciting stuff. In the big picture, this is a part of our transformation. We're reshaping our content. We're doing new kinds of content, whether it's this podcast, your webinar, things that hopefully meet people where they live and answer the questions they have And I can't think of a hotter topic than other transactions. It's been just one of those big topics where people are trying to catch up to it and use it. So this is very exciting, Hallie. And I'm so glad to have had you on again. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's always a pleasure to come on your podcast. Thank you again, Hallie. This is Ken Karkoff once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.carcuff at dau.edu. Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy together.